It is 7 p.m. Saturday, and that means it's Mission Accomplishers time. Hosted by yours truly, Eric Nelson, a.k.a. Lil Whippersnapper, a.k.a. Young Sonic, a.k.a. Roger Klotz, a.k.a. I fear people are turning off Eric due to his offensive voice, and Hunter Hawes, a.k.a. Mr. Too Damn Flossy, otherwise known as Mr. Not So Punctual. And we are back for your week's installment of Dishonoring 100 Years of Radio. Our enemies are innovative and resourceful, and so are we. They never stop thinking about new ways to harm our country and our people, and neither do we. Whether long-range weapon or suicide bomb, a wicked mind is a weapon of mass destruction. Whether you're Solaway Sun or BBC One, this information is a weapon of mass destruction. You could have Caucasian or a poor Asian. Racism is a weapon of mass destruction. Whether inflation or globalization, fear is a weapon of mass destruction. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Welcome all to Mission Accomplishers. Hey. Mission Accomplishers, podcast, broadcast, hybrid, hosted by Hunter Hawes and Eric Nelson, the fellas of AM 950. But uh, here on Mission Accomplishers, we have a thing that if you leave feedback on we'll read it. Apple Podcasts, we'll read it on air. And uh, this week, we got some feedback from J-Lo First. J-Lo First? J-Lo first. Is it, how's J-Lo spelled? J-L-O first. Okay. Uh, it reads, these guys are awesome. So glad I found your podcast. You are good young men trying to make the world a better place and your hearts are in the right place. Hmm. So we appreciate that. And remember, go to Apple Podcasts, type in Mission Accomplishers and write some feedback and we'll read it on air here. Yeah. Make it more exciting next time. You Say something leave, controversial. You can leave positive or negative or off-the-wall statements. We will read it on Mission Accomplishers. Uh, but, yeah, that, that one was a, that was a nice little Seemed like a sweet compliment. old person. Yes. Anyway, it says, oh, they're nice young boys with their hearts in the right place. But I've been thinking about that recently, like uh, the why of the show why do we do this? What are we trying to accomplish with Mission Accomplishers? It's that Buku Dolores we're getting. What's Buku Dolores? Big money. The money, the Soros money. Uh, but uh, what I am striving for here is to provide a commentary on uh, current events, pop culture, uh, from a left-wing perspective, but keeping it entertaining so that people engage on what's going on, but uh, having it be fun and lighthearted so it's not a chore to stay up on what's going on in the world. And we like talking about uh, having hot takes on things that usually don't get discussed in media, like Eric's a controversial statement that the Fast and the Furious movies are better than Star Wars. I mean, that's just a fact. Exactly. He believes that. And um, my, my mission in life of changing the reputation of rats. They are magical creatures. They are one of God's greatest blessings on Earth. 
and they are always portrayed negatively in every sort of media or uh, conversation. I mean, everything I've looked at about rats uh, leads me to believe that they've killed more people than any other individual animal. Probably indirectly, they didn't have bad intentions, but they're vectors for terrible diseases. And rats are so cute and wonderful and um, one of the smartest creatures on Earth. Uh, they, they're amazing, their contributions to human beings because uh, rats have uh, identical stomachs as humans. So when they are studied as lab rats, that they, uh, uh, more so than any other creature, provide accurate results to help of civilization. The more no. than like pigs, more than chimpanzees. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure there's they, more rat experimentation going on, so having, but I don't believe that they're closer to humans. So having um, rats uh, have identical stomachs where they can eat anything that we eat. The only difference with... I eat rat poison all the time, and with, I'm totally cool. With uh, rats is that they can't burp. So That's like, what I thought. I thought they couldn't like fart or burp. Yeah, so they can't have carbonation is the one thing because they're unable to burp. So that's the one danger and the, the, the biggest difference uh, from us and those magical creatures. Hmm. And jumping back, I mean, I get to give a thesis statement on what I always assumed the podcast would be and what I've kind of worked towards it being so far is just a celebration of all things uh, kind of low culture, mm-hmm. things that people would normally associate with uh, uh, being in bad taste. Yeah. I like to celebrate those things. Yeah, that was uh, – uh, we're in Natural Awakenings magazine this month. They did a little article on us, and uh, the the title – is a political radio show extends the conversation to kitsch tastes. Yeah, I saw that. I thought it was a weird usage of the word kitsch. But that is getting at what you just said as well. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that that fits. But I, I consider kitsch more in line with something that you would consider, like call camp or kind of, uh, I don't know, garish. Well, I just like trash culture. Uh, I don't know what either of those words mean, so <laughs> I, um, maybe. But uh, kitsch is like trinkets and yeah, uh, yeah. N- not novelty things. Yeah, exactly. So um, I think it works. Yeah. But this week, last week, uh, we talked about uh, movies, almost the whole show. And yeah. um, my prediction, my box office lock of the century is that Detective Pikachu will be the highest grossing movie of 2019. It'll beat Avengers. And we went out and saw Detective Pikachu this week. Mm -hmm. And upon seeing it, I thought it would do really well. I'm not so convinced now after seeing it. (laughs) It was not what I expected, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I think to reach the audience it wanted to reach, Mm -hmm. it didn't really accomplish anything. It tried to go in too many directions. Different directions at once. Yeah. So I thought it was adequate. <laughs> like, I was. And you have fine to understand how it. poorly someone would have to make a Pokemon movie for Hunter to say less <laughs> of it. So, yeah, there was. There, it wasn't spectacular by any means, but it. I got through it. I wasn't, like, upset. Um, the biggest thing I liked was just looking at the Pokemon. I, I will agree with that, that it came out looking pretty good yeah, for a live action slash 
computer generated movie. Mm-hmm. It looked really good. And I think a part of that, because it looked so good, they maybe cut some corners on how many different Pokemon they animated. Yeah. Because I don't know if you noticed that part of the appeal of Pokemon is that there's all these so, different, there's mm-hmm. so many different creatures. And it seemed like there was maybe 15 that they kept repeating yeah, throughout the movie. Yeah, they were reusing Pokemon. Uh, the coolest one was Ditto. And Ditto is a Pokemon where its only ability is to transform into any other Pokemon. Whatever it's battling, it can change into the same one. But it was really cool because it has these beady little eyes. Oh, yeah. That was actually a very cool part when yeah. he became the guy's like girlfriend mm-hmm. and just how creepy it looked. Yeah. That that one was um, one of the most memorable moments. That was a cool me. part. Um, but, yeah. Beyond that, yeah. And it tried to, you know, they used Ryan Reynolds. And they're like, oh, he's going to say some, like, double entendres and snappy quips. Yeah. And it seemed like very risque for a PG movie, uh-huh. but it couldn't push past that to maybe mm-hmm. PG thirteen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know about the the voice of Pikachu. I did, it was kind of he, weird it didn't to fit me. Pikachu. It was like Ryan Reynolds yeah. is not really a Pikachu. If he was like a Machop, maybe it was kind of like a Ted. The just with how Pikachu's personality in that a much tamer version of ted have you ever seen ted yeah the seth MacFarlane movie and the, the teddy bear guy. guy yeah um but that one that one's really risque and uh, mm-hmm. well yeah that's an r-rated movie right yeah but so it seemed like they were doing a very tame version of that yeah i think it, they're kind of have you seen deadpool no, i've that's never a, seen it but i know okay yeah, they were kind of playing off of i guess uh-huh. it's just maybe ryan reynolds actual personality yeah but, yeah, just kind of the quippy uh, snapbacks. So, Detective Pikachu, it gets a solid C-. minus. Mm. And... I'd give it a D-, minus probably. D it was minus not the worst, there. like I it said. It didn't fail. There was a lot of different animation elements that I thought were pretty cool. Yeah, so it, it did not fail. It passed. It uh, just squeaked by. Yeah, I guess. It if, squeaked by. I didn't walk... It was, like, just good enough that I didn't want to leave the movie theater. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that was kind of how I felt. Um, let's see. Australia yesterday had an election, and the uh, conservative coalition won. And um, what's interesting is Australia has compulsory voting. So everyone in the country votes in the election, and it's done. Or they get, like, penalized or something? Is that the... Yeah, I don't know what the penalty is, but yeah, it has a 97 to 98% uh, voter turnout okay. in these. Uh, but it, it's a bit concerning that all around the world in these elections, the right-wing candidates are winning. you got Netanyahu, Bolsonaro, um, Australia. This guy wasn't a total nut job, but still, like, the right-wing is winning around the world, and Mm. And especially if you look at like, the immigration policies of Australia, mm-hmm. they make us look good. Yeah. They have you know separate islands that they ship their immigrants to mm-hmm. indefinitely. Yeah, and a weird history in Australia. Um, the, the old prisoner uh, land. Penal colony and, thing. Yeah. And they also almost wiped out the entire aboriginal population. Yeah. I think on Tasmania they actually did. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, not a great history. Mm-hmm. Uh, that 
native aboriginals uh, were up until like the 60s, I think, mm-hmm. classified legally as animals. And the, I mean, immigration was the big thing that was talked about in this mm-hmm. election, and uh, it it won. Um, the the candidate he was running against was a very bland neoliberal, left wing candidate, like uh, not a progressive, not a Bernie Sanders or Jeremy Corbyn. It was uh, definitely the Hillary Clinton mold, the Joe Biden, and. I think that's the reason why they lost. It's that doesn't win, that people don't vote for that. Sometimes they'll vote against, but you can't count on that to win elections. Yeah. I mean, I don't know enough about Australia's political history recently to make any sort of claims on, you know, what would be a winning strategy. But just in general. But yeah, looking at at least compared to the United States, like you're saying, people don't vote against people. I mean, Donald Trump is the perfect example. Mm-hmm. If you can't get people to vote against Donald Trump, yeah, what else are you running on? Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's just something to note, that um, the neoliberal establishment candidates do not uh, cause excitement. They do not get people to vote, enough people to vote for that. Um, so my optimism lies in... Uh, the United States and the UK having a Bernie Sanders and Jeremy Corbyn, that would be a fantastic just occurrence for the world. Yeah, change of pace, especially with all the right-wing politics, really, it seems to be picking up speed. You see a lot of reactionary groups, mm-hmm. the, like nationalist groups like Marine Le Pen was yeah. polling in 30% or something in France. Mm-hmm. Although, far right. Yeah, although um, the kind of Reaction to that reaction, I guess, is the yellow vest protests, yeah. which I wasn't really sure where I stood on them for a while. But it seems like they are kind of a left wing libertarian group at this point. Mm-hmm. I know. I don't know it, if there's it's, any it's central. Unique. It's not like um, a, a mold that's easy to define, but it is working class people it's, organizing and revolting. Yeah, a left wing populist movement. It seems to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yellow vest is interesting. I mean, that that is how you get things done. That that's direct action to change your conditions. So, mm-hmm. and as is any large group of people that don't have any central um governing agency. Yeah. It's kind of hard to put your finger on where exactly they're going to. Mhm. But it seems like it could be far worse, well, especially yeah. with the reactionary politics it, spreading across Europe. Yeah, it was just like a instant combustion. It wasn't mm-hmm. like this planned out movement. It was just a total uh, reaction to the policies that were made. So that's why it isn't as like a central or defined, um, but very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but, that's usually where revolutions spring out of. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but concerning, just this world makeup and um, like how if we're moving to this the the nationalist globalist divide. Uh, the right wing has a lot of momentum, and um, do you think that's where the divide really, is—the globalist versus nationalist? I think that is. Uh, Tucker Carlson says that that that's the way to define politics oh. these days instead of conservative versus liberal. I kind of um, disagree. The the globalist 
word, though, is, I mean, that word has a lot of baggage. And uh, if you don't define what that means. um, Absolutely. Especially nationalists, too. Mm -hmm. I think every politician in the United States is a nationalist. If they go and describe themselves as that, that means something completely different, though. Yeah. I mean, normally Uh, it's considered uh, nationalist is like far right politics. Nationalist, how this is being used would be like um, Brexit and just similar movements like that to uh, separate and be independent in a specific way rather than working like um, with other countries with kind of the world in mind. Hmm. So globalist uh, in this context, uh, I think, means more like how are we going to, all the nations together, tackle something like climate change? Whereas nationalist is, uh, we're doing it in this country. We don't care what the rest are doing. Yeah. I guess I haven't really thought about Isolationist that. Isolationist is uh, a way to think of that. But, yeah, um, concerning. Um, I don't know if it's concerning, though, because, I mean, I guess in terms of those individual global versus national policies about climate change and stuff, yeah, sure it is. But there's other issues that I think – you mean you look at the EU and you look at their austerity programs throughout places like Greece. I think that the EU is directly responsible for a lot of the far right springing up, Mm -hmm. like Golden Dawn, um, other places like Turkey – there, it's a direct response to austerity programs implemented by the EU. Yeah. Um, so I think that there's other positions to take than it's just, you know, uh, xenophobic people. Uh, let's move on. Oh, you know what I want to talk about? And we might not get anything with this. But when I was watching Detective Pikachu, I was thinking like, oh, this would be so much better if this was just Detective Pikachu playing Monk. Monk? Are you? Yeah, the Tony Shalhoub show. I don't know. Oh, it's a basically a detective who does. I don't think he's a police officer, but he's used by the police um, to do detective work. And he has like OCD, so he notices <laughs> when things are off in like crime scenes. Oh. And I was just thinking, like, oh, this would be so much better if Pikachu was a monk. That's like um, the the doctor show where the 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 kid has. Um... Doogie Hauser? No. Uh, autism? Autism, yeah. And I never saw <laughs> so I saw promos for that show. From that. But yeah. Yeah. No, I like those premises. Uh, what about Columbo? Pikachu Columbo. Have you ever watched Columbo? Uh, I might have like seen it when I was flipping it's by the Hallmark Channel. Oh, it's great. Uh, I don't actually know anything about it. I just know that it's like a cliche that you, old people watch it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was introduced... To it from I went to Thanksgiving with a British family, so that was a weird experience because they don't have Thanksgiving. Yeah. So they kept asking me like, were you in- "Are you doing this? Are we doing this right?" Where were you? I was when you- in New York. Okay. So I didn't have my family. Um, so a friend of mine's girlfriend invited me to go to their cabin, and um, it was I was the only American there, <laughs> and it was. Um, was, was your fun. friend there who is the boyfriend of the girlfriend? No. Oh, okay. Um, they, I was just invited because I didn't have anywhere to go on Thanksgiving. Gotcha. I've done that several times because I've moved around a lot. So I've had some interesting Thanksgivings. Hmm. Uh, another one was uh, my 
I went with my roommate to his family who is extremely wealthy and they had like a Upper East Side penthouse apartment oh. where the napkins were labeled pre-dinner napkin and then had the family like uh emblem yeah on it coat of arms uh and those all changed throughout the the night did they, they have had, like servers yes they had personal servers yes. at their house uh-huh wow so yeah interesting thanksgiving that, that always scares the hell out of me when i'm in those situations <laughs> it's like oh damn I know am i supposed to use the second fork it's, it's very uncomfortable am i allowed to use this fork for the thing that i just ate <laughs> and it's, it's supposed to make it like nicer but you just it's feel like, wait out of place i guess i wasn't supposed to get rid of that fork now i have no silverware <laughs> Uh, yeah, but uh, th- that's where I was exposed to Columbo was the British family. I watched it, and um... <laughs> that's such like a, a joke. Or, I don't know. It's <laughs> like, like a punchline that this old family is like. Now it's time for Columbo. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Using their special rich person channel that only gets cultured television. <laughs> it only gets like a what's it, Downton Abbey? Downton Abbey, yeah. <laughs> Just on repeat. Another one of my favorites. I love Downton Abbey. Are you kidding me? I love, you've never watched it. It's I so I great. It's so great. Whatever if I'm you watching. haven't watched like I don't believe that you've no, watched do. it I know because in order and didn't like it. All these like British shows that kind of have the turn of the century uh, era going mm-hmm. on, they're all just trash soap operas mm-hmm. just in the guise of being cultured because of the era that they're it's, set in. It's not, though. It, Downton Abbey it is. is. It's like fantastic. trash drama. It's fantastic it's a soap opera well it is but it's very well written and the the characters and the drama with it are just it's great tv i like they always focus on like these upper class families and occasionally they'll have you know the lower class person who is like some sort of love love connection yeah i know the servants do but i'd like to see just something that focuses on like the pig crap shoveler you know, the well, family they, of pig crap shovelers. I mean, they do do things like that. like um. But well, it's centered, like the nucleus of the show is around these mm-hmm. rich people, right? And it's occasionally poor people in their orbit will come into it. Yeah, but the, they break off and they have like uh, several episodes where you do see towns people and like their um, interesting things. Mm-hmm. Like w- one of I the, would just like to see a show that focuses on them and maybe there can be some rich people in the orbit. Yeah. There, I would like to see more shows that would have, like, you have multiple shows from different perspectives of the same event. Like, uh, yeah, the same world. So um, they could run concurrently. And, like you're saying, so, like, you had a Downton Abbey, and then you had another show that ran at the same time that focused on uh, the pig farmer, what mm-hmm. you're talking about. But that would be cool. Uh, are you talking about an entirely different show set in the yeah, same universe? Yeah, I'm just universe? saying um, the idea of having a show that had multiple like families, but it ran in the – doesn't have to be families, just um, mm-hmm. you know scenarios, it's, but it's all connected within the yeah, world. You know it's kind of like that is The Wire. Yeah, I've never watched different that, but Different seasons focus on different it's elements so of – so good, like one of the best shows yeah, of all time. Uh, where am I thinking of? Uh, Maryland, Baltimore. It's in Baltimore, mm-hmm, so Baltimore. the first season is on, you know, a street gang. Second one's on, like, the dock workers where they bring the drugs in. Mm-hmm. Third one's on, like, the schools. Fourth one's on. Yeah, I've heard The uh, Wire is just absolutely it's amazing. Good. It, it doesn't really have that—I guess I need more 
um, some sort of, like break of tension or comedic aspect to it, comedic mm-hmm. relief. Where I think shows like Breaking Bad have that. Sure. And this just doesn't have it. It takes itself extremely seriously. Mm-hmm. And even at the end when it gets like a little ridiculous, it's like no one is kind of like winking at the camera. Mm-hmm. It just gets a little too much. Yeah. Uh, and that has to be done right, though, when it's forced. Uh, like, that's the biggest problem with these new Star Wars is that they're trying to add humor into them to be like the Marvel movies. And it just doesn't work with Star Wars. Star Wars shouldn't be funny. I mean, no, there's a lot of funny parts to the, uh, the original Star Wars, but it was done, I think, George Lucas or whoever was writing them at the time had a better sense of when it was appropriate mm-hmm. and what actually was funny or not. Like C-3PO. C-3PO. That, is I mean, kind of the comedic relief, right? Yeah. And that worked. But the way that they're doing it, they're, they're forcing it with like Finn and other characters to, to be funnier than it needs to be. Mm-hmm. One part, the part that stands out to me as a funny part, um, I think it's from The Force Awakens. What's the newest new one? The newest Force is the Awakens, last I think. Jedi. No, uh, the newest of the was trilogy. The first one. Of okay, the new yeah, trilogy. that's what I mean. Yeah. When he was uh, talking with Ray, like, "Oh, you got a boyfriend? You got a cute boyfriend?" Yeah. Oh, that was funny. Yeah. And it was in line with the character. Mm-hmm. That one was okay. It didn't feel forced though. Yeah, um, but they need a gay robot. They <laughs> a gay droid in Star Wars. Oh, that's what C three PO is supposed to be, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he he was a uppity butler. But I guess that's maybe like a foppish butler. But you know what I watched this week? Very interesting was uh, Frontline. Uh, they have, uh, I just found out, they have every Frontline episode on YouTube. And I watched all three of the election episodes. So the 2008, the 2012, and the 2016 uh, two-hour like election documentaries. And it was interesting to to see those and um kind of get all the details of these races and mm-hmm. 2008 that was a really kind of fascinating election when having barack obama and john mccain running against each other like those were two strong candidates um and I mean, Barack Obama kind of blew him out of the water in yeah. that election. And I mean, he came out of nowhere with like Hillary Clinton was the presumptive president at that time. Mm-hmm. Like um, she really worked from when Bill Clinton left office, her becoming a senator, like uh, being sworn in by Al Gore on their last days of the Bill Clinton presidency. And uh, she, it was just. She was so calculated of how she was going to become president, and then Barack Obama, out of nowhere, just uh, gained so much momentum and inspiration, uh, and it, it was just fascinating to see that and remember all that. Is there anything that stood out to you as, like, this is Hillary Clinton's different in the 2008 election than the 2016, like, where she changed aspects of how she was presenting herself? Um, you know, they, they were very similar, actually. Really? Like, yeah, I didn't see uh, that so much. But um, 
what you saw was how much hatred of Hillary Clinton there has been since even like uh, 1993 when oh, she yeah. started the she healthcare. Got so much hate. Yeah, she has just been a target for them, and they they got into that showed old clips and just uh, how much momentum the right had in just opposing Hillary Clinton. Like they, they would just organize around their hate of her. Yeah, it's kind of you wonder could uh, Trump have won mm-hmm. if he wasn't against Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Oh, I and mean, I'm not saying it it's was... fair, but I think that for so many Republicans, the last 20 years of their life, uh-huh. she has been the devil. Yeah, I know. Um, so, I mean, that was definitely a huge contributing factor of how he was able to win was just how just built up and like um, just a part of people's identity, their hatred of Hillary yeah, Clinton. Yeah, it's, it's guttural, it's emotional at this point. They don't even know why they don't like her. I know, and that's the thing, is that it's, I mean, there's reasons to dislike her, but the way that uh, they form this hate is, it it doesn't make any sense. Like, uh, it's, they hate her it's and like, then find reasons yeah, later. It's, it's not, been programmed into them at this uh-huh. point. Um, but that's why I have a lot of patience for when people are like, oh, any they act like any sort of criticism of Hillary is sexist or something like that mm-hmm. because for the past ten years, a lot of it, most of the time, it has been. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but two thousand eight and then two thousand twelve with Mitt Romney and Obama, um, it's crazy how different the Republican Party was just a oh, few yeah. years ago. I, I mean, look at it, Sarah Palin and look at how people reacted to that. Yeah. Yeah, you cannot like. Oh, what if she well, became president and she had control of the nuclear weapons? Yeah. Uh, what's interesting was John McCain wanted Joe Lieberman as his running mate, but the Republican Party forced him to choose uh, Sarah Palin or different. It, they c- would not have Joe Lieberman because he was pro-choice. Interesting. Yeah. Um, do you remember like a central figure of the Republican Party? Who seemed to have the most control at that time? Uh, was it like Karl Rove? I'm trying to think of. In which, 2008 or 12? In 2008, when it was so, in McCain. Yeah, well, what was also interesting was McCain was not the front runner. Um, he came back like mm-hmm. within the primary, and it was. Uh, oh, who were the other two? I'm trying it to was, remember. I don't remember like at all who it, it was besides McCain. Rick Santorum, was it then? Um, but it was, uh, McCain had a, like a reboot of his campaign and went back to being more him. Like he was trying to be someone else at first and it just wasn't picking up. And he like in the middle of the primary, I was able to kind of turn the table. Interesting. Uh, I'll have to watch that. You said it was frontline. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the the Donald Trump Hillary Clinton one that one was great because they got into how Barack Obama really kind of inspired Trump to run like Trump was doing all this birther stuff during Obama's presidency and then they had the White House correspondence dinner uh, yeah I guess like it is a reaction to Barack Obama that kind of and, introduced him to politics right yeah the uh, it's just the footage of when Barack Obama's telling the jokes at the correspondence dinner 
and uh, the footage of Trump and you just see how angry and embarrassed and uncomfortable he is. And then there was a moment where uh, the Trump had a speech. Uh, this was in 2012, but it, it was in New Hampshire and they were speculating that it was going to be him announcing that he was going to run for president. And I don't remember what it actually was, but as soon as the speech went live, Barack Obama went out and presented his birth certificate. So all the channels that were covering Trump's speech switched to Obama, and it made him furious afterwards. Like, Trump and Obama have this deep-seated rivalry with each other, and uh, it was just seeing the details of that, uh, I wasn't aware of kind of how... Uh, specific and how deliberate. Maybe Obama two. was playing into it too. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, Obama. He's just sneakier than just going on Twitter and saying, exactly. "Trump is a big idiot." Yeah. Sad, sad, sad. I didn't realize how like uh, I, how sincere Obama's like t- hatred of Trump was, or like just uh, how much. Mental energy. Obama actually focused on Trump because it kind of it seemed like he he didn't care at all. But Obama was calculated against Trump and trying to make him look foolish. Mm-hmm. I mean, Trump doesn't need any extra help there. Yeah. But it is it's because I've kind of had the same idea as you that he doesn't necessarily have contempt for him. I thought mm-hmm. he kind of rose above it, but. Yeah, no. It's no, interesting. No. I didn't know that about his uh, birth certificate that he released it during he one of Trump's it press things. Right, timed it so as soon as Trump was live, he spoke for about three seconds, and then all the networks switched to Obama, and then that's how he presented his birth certificate. Wow, that's pretty clever. It's too bad the Democrats didn't learn anything from that strategy <laughs> and just do something else outrageous while Trump is giving a speech. Yep, yep, yep. Um, Although you know, like. You still hear to this day stuff about Barack Obama's birth certificate. I know. Because I'm sure he knew that it wouldn't make a difference, but it made the difference to get the cameras off of him. Because mm-hmm. people are like, oh, it's not a birth certificate. It's a certificate it, of live birth. I know. It is crazy. Like when I look at the, these right-wing Facebook groups and like boomer memes, that it's just how much inaccurate – blatant inaccurate information they spread and how it just like uh they just need to hear something and it's like oh yeah that's 100 percent true and i am uh committed to it yeah alexandria ocasio-cortez doesn't want planes Mm -hmm. i know it's just like you say something that uh rings true to them and they just spread it believe it and like uh passionately yeah passionate hatred i remember there was something going around of just you know these two people in like a street fight uh-huh. and one of them was there was a facebook post going around that showed two kids in a street fight and one was just brutally like stomping on the other person's head and it was the caption was this is footage of trayvon martin committing this assault <laughs> oh i know Ugh. and as i watched it and instantly you know a person who's thinking goes this would probably be on the news if this was real. Yeah. And then you look it up and it's on Snopes. It's like, yeah, this is going around in his email chains. I know. I know that network. But um, what's interesting was these frontline movies. So the, the comments are just all people like this. It's just go away, Obama, please. You are like a bad dream. 
Frontline, fake news. They left out Hillary getting fired for being a liar during the Nixon investigation. Uh, looks like we made the right decision, MAGA. Nice try, PBS. Your commie smear piece on Trump didn't work, MAGA 2020. It just goes on and on. There's yeah, they, eight thousand comments like this. Anything against Trump is a smear. And by this like, wasn't. This was like I know. It, it was a documentary, and it was completely fair. I I didn't think it made Trump look bad at all. I don't like, know. It if, was just informative. Do you think those people read or listen to or watch whatever the media is that they're commenting on? Because so I, often it's just like Mega Twenty Twenty Trump for life. I know, and well, and they hate. Media outlets like, uh, I mean, they hate even PBS, but they hate CNN, MSNBC. It's mainly it's, CNN. It seems like I know they. they really I think Trump hate talks about it the most. Uh, CNN. And but, it's like, who likes CNN? Who people at I, the airport? People who are in like waiting lobbies? I never thought of CNN as like a, a super partisan. No, I, well, I think all. now it's like the anti-Trump station. Well, it became that, but like when Trump's hatred of it started. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't see it at all. Mm -hmm. All right. So later tonight, I'm actually going to a party for my brother mm -hmm. at some sort of VR establishment. I don't really know how to describe it because I haven't been there, and I'm kind of confused by the entire virtual reality. Yeah, VR. Mm -hmm. And what do they do there? That's kind of what I'm trying to figure out. <laughs> I, as far it's... as I know, it's uh, basically you know normal virtual reality stuff that you would buy. Um, commercially, but it's just set up for a groups. Uh, Have I you mean, had any experience with it? I mean, I use those headsets. The uh, ones for your phone? Yeah, I haven't done Yeah, that. those are stupid. I haven't done anything like that. It I, just holds your phone like in front of your eyes. Uh, uh, I've seen a couple of those being sold at like Best Buy for 50 bucks. Yeah, it's I like, got one at Walmart for $2. Then that's Two. about as much $2. as you should pay. Well, it's just a piece of plastic that like holds it in front of your face. It was crazy. It was that cheap, though. Um, no, I don't have much VR experience. Uh, it sounds like it could be cool, but yeah. so far I've never experienced anything cool. I'm in the same boat. So <laughs> yeah, I it want looks... it to. I'm a, I cheer for it. I want to work, but haven't seen it executed right. And it seems like there might have been people who have executed it right. What is the, you know, the new one for the PlayStation? Have you seen that? Ah, uh, no. Oh, it's integrated into the PlayStation, so it has software mm -hmm. specifically for the VR thing. Yeah. Uh, it looks pretty cool, and but you're seeing it from a third-person perspective of not being in VR. So it's hard to say how it really engaging it is. Yeah. I'm surprised we aren't further with virtual reality, that there isn't cooler things that it's mm -hmm. like more common in our life at this point. Yeah. It's... What I've heard it described as the best stuff mm -hmm. still gives you kind of a headache. Yeah. Because, I mean, you have a screen right next to your eyeballs. Yeah, I don't really like it. I can't do it that long either. It's uh, It does have that problem. What I want is like just... Like the Virtual Boy? You ever play with that? Yeah, that's Those immediately red what lights I was thinking of. This is a Nintendo uh, Game Boy, like uh, trying to be the next Game Boy, where this red virtual reality thing that you put your uh, Was it even virtual eyes. reality, though? Well, that was how it was the idea of it. It was, yeah, mostly just a screen <laughs> you see, like, right black in your with eyes bright. that was just black and bright red. And, just LED lights about an inch from your eyeballs. The game they had was Wario. That was the flagship. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, what was scary was because I'd always play it as 
you know, demo stations at Target or yep, whatever. That was that's where everyone Plug played my it. That head was the into only that. place. Someone could be just walking up, creeping around you. It's <laughs> kind of spooky. Yeah, um, but one thing I've seen is that's the classic. There was a Resident Evil game that came out, like the zombie game, kind of. You know mm-hmm. what that is? Yeah. Yeah, and there was it was fully immersive in the VR because it was mm-hmm. made for the PlayStation, and it's a first-person game. It looks scary as hell. Because, hmm. like, scary video games are already the most scary form of media you can consume. Yeah. Because you can't just close your eyes and, like, lay back, right? Uh-huh. You're ready with a pillow in True. front of you. You have and to constantly you, interact with it. Yeah. No, I agree. Even, like, Doom back in the day was scary. Like, just mm-hmm. something approaching, something can kill you. Yeah. So, those, you're right. It Crawling is, through a vent where it's dark and something pops up at you. It gives you anxiety when you're playing these. Yeah, I know. I can't really play... Um, any sort of scary games. Mm-hmm. I've tried playing, you know, horror games, and I make it about ten minutes and just go, uh, no thanks. <laughs> so the idea of having it strapped onto my head, mm-hmm. I can't imagine pushing myself through it to keep doing it. I'm a giant baby about scary things. I enjoy it, <laughs> yeah, but I freak out. <laughs> I remember my uh, ex girlfriend would not go to scary movies with me because she was embarrassed <laughs> by me yelling all the time. I get spooked too. Yeah, definitely. I don't. And when I try and play yeah. cool, even no, it's what, fun. It's more yeah, fun. it is more fun to interact yeah. with the media you're consuming. Because like when I get scared, I'm like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> well, that will be fun. You're mm-hmm. going to virtual reality today. Yeah, it should be cool. I'll report back to see how good it is. So report next week. You know what's kind of too bad is my grandma was asking about virtual reality when she was really sick in the hospital. Yeah. Because she wanted to have some sort of, like, you know, cyber vacation back to where she was born in Austria. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So we didn't really get a chance to do that, but I think that that's probably something that's going to exist in the near future. It's, it's just a way for yeah. people to re- visit or recreate elements of their childhood. Well, that was, the, of my $2 virtual reality headset, the coolest part was YouTube has videos set up uh, and uh, that you can go places. So it was the travel videos that I thought was the coolest use of the $2 hmm. virtual reality rather than the games. Games weren't that fun, but some of the videos and just going places, uh, it was cool because you could look around. Mm-hmm. I've noticed that there are videos on like that on YouTube mm-hmm. and other more illicit uh, videos. Mm-hmm. You noticed those? Mm-hmm. Spicy. You're listening to Mission Accomplishers, hosted by Hunter Hawes and Eric Nelson, every Saturday at 7 p.m. here on AM 950 and podcasted around the world. Something I set up this week is I changed my office here at the station to a green screen studio. Mm -hmm. I am hoping to start recording YouTube videos in the studio uh, and just have another outlet. I've wanted to get on YouTube for uh, quite a while now. and um, Yeah, I think that's a good strategy. Yeah, there's... uh, I want to just have kind of a a free or a, a place, an outlet that I can have to talk about things that kind of don't make sense on the reparte or mission accomplishers. Uh, can, so that I am going to be starting up pretty soon. Um, and we can do other things too, like we can do make videos for this show. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you have any ideas what you want your backdrop to be? That's what I've been thinking about. Is I don't. 
entirely now. I, I want to do some test shoots, uh, but there's a lot of cool angles mm-hmm. to go with. Uh, I would say underwater layer. And I think it'll be different for each, but you do want to have some sort of consistency. Uh, but it'll be fun exploring it. I've been looking at different colors and interactive uh, backdrops. It should uh, just be the swamp that we record out of. Yeah, live from the swamp. Our, our the uh, backyard here at the station is a total swamp. So Trump was right. <laughs> he has not drained it, though. It's still That's plenty why full he's of water. Been ineffective. Uh, so something I've thought about recently is kind of the future of radio, because radio is surviving like that i mean there's a lot of competition now but uh radio is still the most consumed media in the car by far yeah and most people drive still i think there will always be some sort of appetite for that right Mm -hmm. something you just turn on you don't have to download ahead of time or know what you're getting into yeah Uh, and that's so that is right along the line that i was thinking of but uh chad brought up with me that um, big boss man Chad, big boss of the station. That AM radio potentially we could get to a point where it's no longer a signal and more of an internet where uh, everything is the same quality around, like, like wherever digital? you are. Yeah. So I had never thought of that aspect um, because there, there's so much. Uh, fear right now in radio that like things aren't going to be the same as they were but there's also opportunity and um mm-hmm. there's can be optimism with this yeah well because, i mean the tv stations all had to transfer to digital yeah exactly. a couple years ago right so a station like ours could actually benefit greatly from these changes in the future and the main reason that it something will still be around is the need for local content like uh mm-hmm. with podcasts and that there there's no interaction with the community like and there's something special about like hearing the rate or the weather and uh hearing about events in your neighborhood and it coming in live just yeah, that, as and that, it occurs where a lot of times if you listen to podcasts they're weeks ago uh-huh. or whatever it's so, not really capturing this moment in time mm-hmm. so i think i don't exactly know how it's going to shape up but i uh, i've been looking into experts in the the field and there are some exciting potentials for local radio like ours so I, it, it's just interesting and I, i'm i'm glad that we are a part of this at this day in age because uh, it could potentially be very exciting for where this goes. You know, our age group, kind of the millennials, we're both 30, I think. Are you 30? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we kind of are a transitionary age. Oh, 100%. Right? I didn't, very few people grew up with internet connections or computers. Mm-hmm. Or the ones that did, it didn't resemble really the modern internet. No. Yep. I had. I know we had internet at my house basically since I can remember but I specifically remember when AOL came out mm-hmm. because that made it, I guess, usable by me mm-hmm. as opposed to being a bunch of message boards that you had to know 
the IP in, address well, to yeah, I used or to use computers like when um, before Windows when it was DOS and you had to type in the, oh, yeah. the code to get to places. BBS used commands and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, so I've seen the personal computer just uh, every stage of the way in mm-hmm. like just uh, what a modern computer is. Uh, those first Windows and um, I know I annoyed the hell out of my dad because there was this one game on the computer that I didn't know the command to. Mm-hmm. And I'd call him up at work every day and be like, how do I get to this game? <laughs> well, that's cool. You're kind of um, in the same boat as me as uh, really using computers um, early on. Yeah. And it's like um, YouTube is not that old when you really no. look at it. I remember when no. it came out during high school. Mm. And it kind yeah, of it it was snapped and everyone. Five. It kind of seemed – it was one of those technologies that as soon as it appeared – it seemed like we had had it forever. Yeah. Because it was just something was, that was waiting to exist. But videos before that. Oh, they were a pain in the yeah, ass. Yeah, they didn't really exist. They, I mean, they uh, did, but it was. Yeah, no, they did, but it was, it was real player. impossible to ever access. Real player, yeah. I, Every single website had its own version of a embedded media player. Mm-hmm. And it was just a giant headache. That's what's interesting. Democracy Now, uh, they, they've been airing since, what is it? Uh Either the late 90s I think or it was early, early 90s. 2000s. Uh, but, I looked this up a while ago. But they started as just um, an internet outlet. And mm-hmm. uh, Democracy Now! and Alex Jones was the other one who they have been around forever. Uh, one of the first people to pioneer the internet as a media platform. Yeah. I remember actually looking at Alex Jones' website mm-hmm. a while back. Back watching like some documentary or something. 2001. Yeah, and he, that was like I was always interested in conspiracy theories, mm-hmm. but oh. the main reason was he was the only website where I could actively watch video on. Yeah, uh, yep, I remember those early uh, Alex Jones videos. I remember people thinking, "Oh, you know, Yahoo has music videos. Is this cool or what?" Yeah. As opposed to waiting, watching TRL or something like that. Well, that was how we watched music videos uh, and how anyone was MTV, uh, VH1, yeah, Fuse. And they existed, but I think it's funny when people of our generation like, MTV needs to bring back music videos. <laughs> it's like they barely played music videos when, when we, we were kids. Yeah. <laughs> they had TRL and they played 30 seconds of a music video you'd seen 100 I know. times. By the 90s, MTV really wasn't playing music videos. They had like their secondary channels right yeah. but you would have to have some crazy level of cable to watch them yeah so uh, music videos have always been interesting how they they've never really had a huge platform until now now is really the the best time for music videos and do they get funded a lot because i remember that, certain like tupac's videos or jay-z's uh-huh. videos or something i, I guess think, if you knew you would have a top 10 yeah. music video you knew it would get airplay so I think music video funding was better back in those days it must because have been. they were selling albums, and that was one of the primary promotional yeah. materials for it. Where nowadays no one sells albums, so the money uh, kind of comes internal to promote the artist to get you to go out to their shows or whatever else they're selling. Mm-hmm. But, Unless you're Beyonce, you're not really selling mm-hmm. a million albums anymore. Yeah, it's no. funny when you look at the top album charts, mm-hmm. it's, and it's like the Eagles' best of number two, the, and, and then it's uh, D- uh, Josh Groban sings cl- 
Christmas songs. New albums only sell about 10,000 units. I know, it's crazy. For, for being the number one album. Yeah. Because you remember all the big albums selling millions of copies, and then you'll hear about some big name selling, oh, he sold 6,000 albums. And then uh, streaming, each stream is only a fraction of a penny. Like we're talking 0. 0.00001 mm-hmm. for each stream. So uh, there is revenue, but it's extremely small. And what's also interesting is that these streaming platforms, your Spotify, your um, Apple, whatever they call it nowadays, Apple Music and uh, Pandora, uh, these streaming platforms all lose money. Uh, They're trying to establish for what they could potentially be in the future, but they lose millions and millions of dollars each year. And that's wild because then you hear that the people... You know, the artists themselves don't make any money either. Mm-hmm. So the only one of these new music platforms that is profitable is Sirius XM, the satellite radio. Hmm. Because I would say that's not really the same thing, though. It, but they're, they're grouped together, and I'm, I'm just making this comparison. And okay. The reason that they're profitable is because a radio format pays a different royalty than a streaming platform. To the artist. Yeah, so when you're played through a playlist rather than having direct access to it, uh, mm-hmm. you don't have to pay the artist as much. I know that our station pays for licensing fees to use bumper yeah. music. Yeah. I wonder if that's different for a musical oh, station. Oh, I'm sure a musical station has to pay a different thing, mm-hmm. but I don't know what it is. Uh, but that another th- thing on just that future of radio is Sirius XM has found a way to be profitable in this new landscape the biggest thing that they had was the, the upfront cost of launching satellites. Yeah, space. and I don't even think it's that revolutionary. It's kind of using the same model that it always has. Mm-hmm. It's just on a different platform. Mm-hmm. It's kind of cable TV to TV, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah, but it, who knows what will happen, but I think there could be some really cool developments in radio. I think it will get to a point where it's a lot more interesting than – what happened after the Telecommunications Act and Clear Channel just You see it going dominated. in a different direction? I think so. Uh, I guess I do too, but I don't think satellite radio will have anything to do with that. Who knows? Uh, I think they'll exist, but yeah, I think there'll be something different. Because, I mean, satellite's well, a complete compete. monopoly, right? Uh, yeah, because there used to be two, and now they merged into one, Sirius XM. Mm-hmm. Uh, but oh, I have one more thing. Yep, we've uh, just got a minute left. Uh, the food trucks are supposed to be inside of malls, and that's <laughs> all I have to say about that. Food trucks inside of malls? Yeah. Every food truck should just have a mall equivalent. Oh, in the food a, court? Yeah, food court. Sure, yeah. I would like to see more food trucks in general. Just expand them. Great food. Cool stuff. All the best food is out of automobiles. Yeah. I've got some good noodles in my trunk. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, it's a pleasure being with you. Mission Accomplishers, hosted by Hunter Hawes, Eric Nelson, Saturdays, 7 p.m. on AM 950. But as always, remember, prosecute the Bush administration for war crimes. Toodaloo. We're coming for you, bastards. <laughs> Bastards. 
Whether long range weapon or suicide bomb, a wicked mind is a weapon of mass destruction. Whether you're Soloway's son or BBC One, this information is a weapon of mass destruction. You could a Caucasian or a poor Asian. Racism is a weapon of mass destruction. Whether inflation or globalization, fear is a weapon of mass destruction. My dad came into my room holding his hat. I knew he was leaving. He sat on my bed, told me some facts, son. I have a duty calling.